Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I am your host, Dr. Will. Now, today's guest is Dr. Lisa Dolly. Now, She's doing some amazing things. Her, her history of work, the body of work, when I did that Google search, and I was like, University of North Carolina, now at University of San Diego, all the things she's done, I just really wanted to have her on to talk about innovation and education. And then we were talking before we started this recording, and we were talking about entrepreneurship, but really got me going. Uh, so, but... You're going to be able to check this podcast out, as always, on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Simplecast, and Spotify. So, Dr. Lisa, for those who will be listening in the future, will you please introduce yourself? Hello. Thank you for having me today. Um, Lisa Dolly. I'm the executive director of the Jacobs Institute for Innovation and Education. It's a really long name at the University of San Diego. And the work that we do here, I'm so lucky. It's like a, it's a dream job of a lifetime. Um, the Institute's really focusing on powering K-20 innovation. And so, and usually we do that through research and development. So we partner with school districts, we partner with innovative educators, with education companies, um, doing different research and development initiatives. Awesome. Um, yeah, and then a little bit about my history. Um, I've been in academia off and on for many years as a professor, as a department chair, now as an institute director. And I've also founded three educational technology startups. Um, so I definitely have an entrepreneurial side, and that's why I was excited to meet with you, Will. Um, you know, and, and kind of have woven the back and forth between entrepreneurship and academia now for probably 15, 20 years. Excellent, excellent. So how did you find yourself in education and what attracted you to educational technology? Education came about for me pretty young, um, in my 20s, while I was in college figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, I was an aunt to nieces and nephews and um, visited them every weekend. I was playing with my nieces in their dollhouse one day and I realized um, whatever I would do, they would copy me. And I thought, oh my God, I have a real opportunity. I love kids. I have a real opportunity to be an influence in somebody's life um, and be there for people. And uh, you know, kids basically do whatever the adults do around them. And it was at that point I decided I wanted to teach elementary school. So I went back, I, I got my, focused on my credential for teaching elementary, and that's where I got started in education, teaching elementary school. And it, and it just evolved from there. And the second part of your question was, how did I get involved in ed tech? Yes. Yeah, well, ed tech came later. Um, after, so I taught elementary school, then I decided to do my PhD because I realized how disempowered teachers were. And I thought, man, somebody's got to change the system because uh, teachers need powering up and support um, to get the job done. They're experts in the classroom and they're not treated respectfully. Um, and they're, um, we got a long way to go on that. So I went back and got my doctorate so I could work with teachers. And 
got really fascinated when the internet came out. That was back in the 90s. <laughs> Graphic browsers came on the market. I was teaching this class called Creativity, and I thought, man, there's nothing more creative than this thing called the internet. Let's just have a class on the internet. And there were no books. There were no, you know, we didn't even have Google at the time, right? I mean, it was super early. That was the beginning for, of EdTech for me, and I've been in it ever since. Wow. And this is a yeah. I actually, what I'm known for, um, uh, co-authoring the first textbook on how to integrate technology into the classroom. Now that's amazing. That's because there were none. We didn't know how. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing right there. It was, it was early days. Wow. So let's jump into what is transpiring in public education and how is higher ed working to lead the research and how does education look differently in this digital age of disruption? What I see happening, and I'm pretty excited by it, is really a collection of different movements that are coming together and for a reason. Um, I worked in ed tech for, as I said, over 20 years. Even that space is evolving and changing because technologies are evolving and changing. So, uh, you know, for 15, 20 years, it was all about, hey, let's teachers, teach teachers how to integrate technology in the classroom. Well, we're at a point now where the technologies are so advanced. I mean, little five-year-olds, three-year-olds can create things. They can be creators and designers and builders and producers and Right, the technology is giving the power to individuals at all ages to produce and build for themselves. Well, of course, that means teachers can build and produce for themselves as well. And so just that shift um, to make everybody a builder and a designer and a creator, or the potential for that, aligned to other initiatives we see, um, personalized learning, competency-based learning, all the STEAM education, the maker movement, the entrepreneurial movement, all of those are pieces of the innovation space. That's how I look at it. So if you look at innovation as the big umbrella, and then we've got all these sub-initiatives kind of underneath it. Um, so I'm super excited to see districts now experimenting um, with pieces of that. It's like everybody's realizing um, Sending kids through pipelines where everybody gets the same treatment. There's no personalization. There's no individualization. You don't address my interests, my strengths, my talents as a learner. Those don't work. And so as districts are kind of experimenting, I see a lot of it. I see a lot of people experimenting, trying new models. How do we make schools work for kids? I don't know that we've found the answer. I don't think it, there is a the answer. But we're finding some good answers. And, and of course, the whole career and college readiness piece, it's a, it's a really important part because um, if, I know, if I know my strengths and interests and I can begin to align those to what I think I want to become in life, um, you're giving me some hope, right? I've got, I've got here, well, I used to tell people, hey, when I grow up as an academic, I want to be Chris Deedy at Harvard. And <laughs> I don't know if you know Chris. He's one of my um, mentors. Chris took a certain career pathway to get where he is, to be an all-star in his life, working at Harvard University as a professor, right? And whoever our, our mentors or our, our heroes are, it's our heroes, they all took a pathway to get there. It didn't happen by accident. And 
anybody can take that pathway if we help them understand what the pathway is. So I'm pretty fascinated by that piece too. And all those pieces come together for me under the innovation umbrella. Mm -hmm. Sorry, long answer to a short question. No uh, so you had the Jacobs Institute for Innovation and Education at the University of San Diego. Yes. Why was the institute founded and what work are you doing to prepare current and future educators for the ch to lead change within their schools? So the institute was founded to basically support K-20 um, innovation initiatives through research and development. So um, we, and, and we, that plays out in three ways. We engage in research and evaluation. So we have about, uh, I don't know, eight or nine projects going with different school districts or schools where they're trying innovation initiatives and they need a research partner. Hey, can you help us collect data? How do we collect data? What are we finding uh, when we try this new initiative uh, what do the kids say actually happened? So we're a research partner um, to help them formulate a, a stronger initiative. Uh, second way that we help is through our innovation design work. So we build apps, we build digital curriculum, uh, we build solutions that people might need in the K-20 education space. And then the third way is through professional learning. And so, for example, we're having we're hosting a summer conference called Ed Innovate Live um, to support Ed innovators. Uh, we're launching a graduate certificate in educational innovation this fall. Um, we host workshops on different topics related to Ed innovation. So there's that professional development outreach as well. Wow. So you're seeing all of these things. And you're seeing these pockets of innovation. Yeah. But most schools haven't changed. They're still grouping kids by age. They're still putting kids in roles with the teacher at the front of the, of the board. And they're still all being tested at the end of the year. Yeah. With the same test, when all of us know that kids have different abilities, different attitudes towards education, different skills, different talents. And they're still sort of being standard, not only in how they're taught, but standard in how they are assessed. Yeah. With what comes to mind when you think about this new generation of students that they're mobile first and they're walking around with the world's information in the palm of their hands. What can schools do to understand the evolving landscape in education? Oh boy. I, okay, I think there's a couple of ways to think about that question. So the first problem that you started to allude to was, hey, we've got this state testing. The testing is framing how we're teaching in schools. Um, and what does testing have to do with real learning anyway? And, and where these kids are going in their lives. One of the best solutions I've seen to that is a policy level solution where some states, I think we're six or seven states now that have created innovation zone policy. And what that does is it gets rid of that accountability issue for a specific district who's working on an innovative new school model. And so we don't want to do by grade level. We're going to do it. We're going to break up the school in another way. 
And we want to get away from testing because we have other competencies we're trying to build toward and we don't want to have dual sets of competencies. Well, these innovation zones, uh, if you're selected, um, do erase that requirement for you. So I think that's extremely important that we have federal and state policy that supports people experimenting and innovating with new school models um, because the assessment does drive how the whole design of everything. It's like backwards design, right? If we're teaching to the test. So I think that's a, that's a pretty important piece of the uh, answer to that question. Um, will you reframe the, will you restate the question one more time? The, well, knowing that we have a different learner now yeah. than we have before, yeah. where for me, the computer was something introduced to me at a latter, latter part of my life. And the internet, I didn't see that until I became an adult. But now we have students who are coming in, they don't know what a blockbuster is, all they know is streaming. And they're walking around with this in which not only do they have access to the world's information in their hands, but they can take this and create a movie. They can take this and right. produce, produce an album. Right. And so knowing the changing shift in the students that we are serving and how the technology is growing at such a pace that you, you, you can't even put a, your, your finger on what's today because it could be like that different tomorrow how should educators i mean i i tell this story to people i was a chair of an ed tech department that had 15 full-time faculty and like 40 adjuncts none of us knew what the other one knew we all had different areas of expertise so i did online teacher professional development she does youtube streaming she does right everybody had their own expertise and we worked at 24 7. can you imagine how a teacher feels trying to keep up when that their subject matter might be math or it's like, it's impossible. You cannot keep up with all the technological changes happening, period. No one can, no one. Um, so let's just start with that. So given that, given that things are evolving so quickly and it's impossible to really keep up and how do we then best meet the needs of our kids? Okay, I think one potential way to think about it is I not only encourage teachers as innovators, but students as innovators as well. Um, and students as innovating as a, as a critical um, feature of their own life path. I mean, at, we know that in five years, 50% um, of the jobs that exist today won't exist five years from now. Or, we'll, or the converse, we'll have 50% new job categories that don't even exist right now. And so how do you, how do I have the skill set for those jobs? How do I even teach kids to get them ready for that? Innovator skill set is pretty powerful because it does teach you to create the future itself, right? And so if I can get kids prepped as innovators, as problem solvers, uh, who use design thinking, who identify social needs, uh, what's going on in society? What are the problems that I can solve? What data do I have about those problems? Do I really understand the problem? Now, um, how creative can I be to develop, brainstorm and develop solutions and how can I work in a team to create those solutions? So I'm highly focused right now on defining what does it mean to innovate? 
what is the skill set, what is the knowledge base, and how do we help kids become innovators? So regardless of what the technology becomes, regardless of what the problems become, I always have the skill set to figure out solutions for myself, for my family, for my community, for industry. Um, and I'm getting aligned to, you know, now I'm, now I'm getting myself into a potential career path. And, and that's a whole nother conversation, the career pathways piece. And so for me, that sounds like entrepreneurial thinking. Yes. And which in the K through 12 classroom normally does not exist. We still are dealing with the agrarian calendar. We're still dealing with remote memorization and, and, and methodologies such as that. When we're looking at entrepreneurial mindset and how that can be implemented in the classroom, yeah, how do you think that can be used to actually shape or shift the mindset of what teachers are doing in the classroom? So I taught a class in Ed Innovation last fall. Um, it was my first time really teaching a course in it and trying to find curriculum to support the innovation process. And this was a class for um, educators who are, re, who are innovating in this field of education. Well, kids might be innovating in other areas, um, in STEM areas and in arts and, and whatever. Uh, infrastructures, uh, local community needs or issues. I, I do see design thinking as a methodology or pedagogy um, that teachers can pick up. How can we help kids think through in a, in a very process-oriented way how to define problems and create solutions? And so we're actually working. Um, so I, I taught that last fall, and I was like, man, I, there, there's no app for this. Like, there's got to be an easier way. I got PowerPoints and learning management systems, and we're watching videos on YouTube, and I'm, I'm checking Google Docs, but it's like it's all over the place. And if somebody could just help me as the teacher bring it all together into one space, so I've got the curriculum, I can, I can engage with my students as they're working in teams and give them instant feedback on their work, um, really facilitate that innovation design process. So they get to the point where they've developed a solution and they're ready to pitch their solution. Um, right? That's what that's my goal. And and maybe if we're going to take the pitch further, um, they're going to become entrepreneurial and actually launch the venture if they can get funding to support it. But at least have that initial skill set to be creative enough to come up with solutions to problems. And so we um, have been for the last six months developing an app called Pactful kind of like impactful to help teenagers. We're specifically starting with teens and their teachers um, to work in teams to develop solutions aligned to the UN 17 sustainable goals. Are you familiar with those, Will? I'm not. The UN came out with um, a really awesome framework that's being adopted and picked up by a lot of people in education working on social issues. And they have goals like zero poverty, uh, no hunger, um, gender equity, uh, sustainable cities, clean climate, right? And then, and then how do we tackle that in our own communities? And so it's a really amazing map of every social category that you can come up with of how to build a better world. And so that's really my goal right now is how do we help students 
think about how to build a better world, give them the process to do that, and then map up that building process with actual um, local community needs and maybe industry needs so they get some career experience in the process. Mm. And we'll be launching that in beta testing this summer and next fall. Mm. From there, um, our goal is to, <laughs> I got a project I'm trying to find funding for right now um, called 10,000 Changemakers. And so it's the idea of getting 10,000 teenagers and their teachers working together to create social change. Um, using the app, going through the process, and actually responding to problems that are posed by industry. So I'm starting in the city of San Diego, 10,000 Changemakers San Diego. That'll be in... Um, 2020 and in subsequent years we hope to from that learn how to launch an, an initiative like that at a city level and take it to other cities 10,000 changemakers Boston 10,000 changemakers Atlanta etc and so I'm looking at scale like how can we help kids work at scale and be super powerful why do they have to sit in classrooms and memorize notes and take tests why can't they actually create solutions to real world problems. Um, do you know David Hogg, who was one of the students who came out of the Florida shooting? He's mm -hmm. been quite active on Twitter. And he, he has a phrase that, um, I forgot how, teens, teens will rule the world or teens will take over, solve the world. I believe that. I believe teenagers have the power, the knowledge, uh, the passion to really, really make change in the world when in, in partnership with good mentors. Um, and so I want to provide that vehicle to do it. And that's one way that I think we can change education mm -hmm. and give them the tools to do it. So when we talk about the technologies, um, there are some amazing tech out there, but if I don't have a greater purpose to use the tech towards, then, then what am I doing? Um, so am I just learning 3d printing and I'm, am I 3d printing cool stuff or, Am I 3D printing the prototype that's my solution to hunger or my solution to whatever, right? Am I learning to 3D print for a reason? And, I, and I'm trying to create the reason. Okay, so when you look at the intersection between education and entrepreneurship and everything that you're talking about and what you're doing at yeah. your institute, yeah, but then we look at the average educational uh, teacher prep program <laughs> and how they are teaching teachers to teach. How can we bridge that gap between the two? I think we're starting that. So um, I mentioned to you that we're launching a grad certificate program in Ed Innovation in the fall. Well, prior to working here, I worked at UNC Chapel Hill. They had a master's degree in Ed Innovation, Technology, and Entrepreneurship. There are only four degree programs like that in the country, but they're, I think they're growing pretty quickly. Like people under, are starting to understand um, there's a space around innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship that's emerging. It's a domain, and we see it because there are careers. I mean, there are jobs, director of innovation and ed tech. Uh, learning innovation designer, uh, manager of innovation and learning space, or you know, you know what I'm saying? Like there's all these new jobs coming out. Where's the training for those? It's not just teacher anymore, principal. And, and so I'm pretty fascinated with how our field is 
emerging. And trust me, if there's an opportunity for institutions to offer training, eventually they'll get on board with it and figure out um, the solutions. But I think these emerging programs, um, there's one at Harvard, there's one at Stanford, UPenn, UNC Chapel Hill here, National University just launched a PhD in organizational innovation, educational organizational innovation. Um, and so I think we're gonna start seeing more things like that as people ramp up. It's still early, um, but I do predict in the next five years, we'll start to see more convergence um, between those types of programs and teacher prep programs here on campus. Um, when I got here, there was no innovation space. So I'm like, man, where's the innovation classroom? I need tables that have steam technology, or I need steam technologies, I need mobile furniture, I need whiteboard space, I need the space to do innovation design and work in teams. And all the tables were long rows, chairs, set up for lecture, right? So um, instantly the dean agreed, yes, let's build an innovation classroom. Well, that innovation classroom will be open, not only will it be open to any faculty member teaching in any program, um, but we're also now talking about adding a minor in ed innovation to the teacher prep programs and offering workshops on how to use a classroom like that. So slowly but surely, I think spaces are changing, curriculum's changing, um, thinking around, you know, the, the K-12 system moves slow. I think I remember from my politics of education class, it like takes a decade for some new initiative to really take over the system, unfortunately. Wow. But I, I do, th I see it. It's not just like a, a little, maybe it'll happen. It's happening. We're still at early adopter stages. Mm -hmm. So now I wanna throw this out there to you. When we look at the amazing work you're doing and, and what you are talking about, there is now a space for educators to either via a side venture or to actually leave the classroom altogether to become an entrepreneur and to, and via entrepreneurship, create and spearhead initiatives that make a greater impact in the classroom. Yes. What are your thoughts on entrepreneurship and why do you think educators should look at that as a viable option? You know, I, I mentioned to you before we started on the recording, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. And um, I'll be very honest, it's a very, it was a very painful path for me. Um, so I spun out my last company. Um, you know, I'm an academic, I'm a teacher, just like teachers are teachers. And um, I invented a gamified learning platform I spun it out into a company. I licensed it back from the university. I went through this whole process and I thought, man, I'm networked. I'm at the top of my career. I got connections. This, this technology is based on what we know from the best in research, how kids really learn. It's tied to games. I mean, this thing's a home run. It was the most painful experience I've ever been through, trying to launch a company with investor funding and getting out into the market and finding out um, just how different it is to launch an education company versus another kind of company. Um, you know, investors want three to five years and they want their money back. Well, in the education space, it takes five to 10 years before a company really makes it. So you have to understand investors, 
Um, if you're a woman, uh, get ready because only 2% of venture capital goes to women, 98% goes to men. Um, so you're, you're, you're instantly fighting against the system trying to launch a company. So I'm pretty passionate about supporting teachers um, as entrepreneurs. I think a lot of ground up innovations, the things that work beautifully in classrooms. I mean, there's a spectrum of the, of the ed innovator. There's the teachers that have amazing um, lessons and they're, they're selling them on Teachers Pay Teachers, right? So you've got that kind of person out doing their thing. Um, and, and maybe they want to scale that and make it larger, right? Or maybe they want to start doing that full time um, and, and start adding on services to their area of expertise. I think with, uh, people like Alice Keeler, um, who wrote the Google Classroom book, and, and now, you know, I mean, she has a whole series of, she does speaking, she does a lot of things. So there, there are innovators, ed, edupreneurs, who stay in the classroom and do their little side thing. And then there are entrepreneurs who take it to the next step and do it full time. And then there are the next level of people that launch full-blown companies and go after venture capital funding, right? Or, or angel investment. And so all along that continuum, all those people are extremely important. They all need support. Um, and they all serve a really valid and valuable purpose from my perspective. Yes. To help change education, you know. Yeah, we preach that around here. We preach that around here. Uh, never give it away for free where you can get a fee. Never get, so I tell you though, can I just say, sometimes I give it away for free if I think the fee's gonna be larger down the road. Free me a model. Yes, yes. You gotta give away a little something to get something in return sometimes. And it's being strategic that way. It's like, am I giving away too much? Am I not giving away enough? Am I, you know, these are the kind of questions I think a lot of entrepreneurs have. And it's, it's like learning where, what can I give away and what should I charge for? Yes. But I, I, I agree with you. Um, educators, because we're giving, uh, we, a lot of us uh, work in servant leadership or we're, we're about serving others feel awkward about asking for payment, um, aren't, aren't comfortable in that space. Um, I agree with you. We have to know our own value and charge for it because people are willing to pay for it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. And there's nothing like getting that check when you look at it and you're like, I just made more money and <laughs> one day's of work that I did the whole, I, the whole month of my check. Uh, I love those checks when they come. I've had those moments too. They're quite amazing, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. So before we go, I want to talk to you about those, those school districts that they have to see what's coming and they're unsure about what's coming uh, in K through 12 education. They see online learning, they see digital uh, courseware, they see more technology is coming, and whether, uh, whether or not they agree with it, I know they know somewhere in their minds that they can't stop the train because it's already moving too, too, too fast and it's gone too far for them to stop it. What is your call to action 
for those school leaders so they can kind of just sit back and, and just breathe it in, take it in and embrace it rather than fight what is the inevitable. I think the best thing I've seen, I've interviewed superintendents around the country who are engaged in innovation. They're very special people um, because not every superintendent or school leader has that mindset, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you've got some visionaries um, that, are, that are doing the work. Those, those aren't the people we're worried about. It's the people that, that don't have that mindset but they can have the foresight to hire people that have that mindset and give them free reign to help transform the, the district or the school. And I, I do believe that's why we're seeing all these emerging jobs, um, such as hiring a chief innovation officer for your school district. So, so there are people out there that are staying up to date with it, right? They're going to conferences, they're, uh, watching your movie, they're uh, listening to your podcast, right? They're, they're trying to stay on top of it. Um, it's trusting those people and giving them the space they need. Um, and, and I think most superintendents see that. I think most principals understand that, that if you don't have it, you've got to rely on experts. Find the experts that you can rely on and that you trust to help move your school or you know, district in the right direction. I don't know how else you're going to do it. And I do think, you know, two years ago, I started data mining job descriptions. Any job description that came out with the word education and innovation in it. And initially, I would get like two to three hits a week, two to three jobs a week. So this was two years ago. Now I'm getting three to four a day. Wow. So that, that lets me know this space of ed innovation is growing. People see the need. They're changing job titles. It's funny when you actually look at the job description, sometimes it's the old job with a new title on it, uh, right? It's like the old chief technology officer with the word innovation thrown in. <laughs> but sometimes there are change, there is change, there are true changes in the job description. So there is a shift happening. I'm, I'm super excited about it. Um, it will be slow. We have to have patience. We can't give up. Um, but the snowball is starting to gain some momentum. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. And with people like you, you know, out spreading the message, people like me doing the work and all the other thousands of people involved in this work, um, I think it'll just continue to build. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Dr. Lisa, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You are welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. Uh, this podcast episode will be going up on Simplecast, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. I need you to subscribe, give me some great ratings, star it, share it, whatever you need to do to get it in the hands of people because your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. I like I like your vision. I love that you have big goals. Yes, I'm trying to change. Yeah, I'm trying to do this around here. Uh, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm a social media person. So um, as soon as you get it up, will you please send me all the links? I'll make sure it gets out on social media. It'll get in our newsletter. It, I, I think my networks, I don't know, maybe about 15,000 people. It's not huge, but it is what it is. 
For sure, for sure. People, I can for get sure. it out that far. <laughs> for sure, Doc. I appreciate it. Uh, people, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dr. Will, and I thank you for checking out another episode of the podcast. As always, invest in you, EDU. Peace.